Welcome into Two for One Drafts. Austin Gale here, the host of Two for One Drafts, a rookies and prospects podcast. Going to look at some of the latest storylines, um, including Nick Casario, Devontae Smith. We're also going to do our awards for the year, Mike and I's awards for the year, offensive rookie of the year, defensive rookie of the year. We're also going to dive into MVP, coach of the year, and do some of the opposite end, least valuable player, worst coach of the year. Talk about some of that. Have some fun with that. Let's get it. PFF and Action Pro are teaming up. Subscribe to PFF's Elite Annual Subscription using promo code ACTION to receive a year of Elite Subscription access and one year, 365 days of Action Pro subscription access for just $199.99. Action Pro is Action Network's premium subscription offering tailor-made to make avid and new bettors better. This is a limited-time offer that is currently only made available now through the Super Bowl. This offer only applies to first-time Elite Annual subscribers. In these uncertain times, life is full of questions. Like, when should I start thinking about life insurance? But however difficult these questions may be, Western and Southern can help you answer them. Backed by over 130 years of experience, together we can look ahead to leave the unknown behind. Western and Southern Financial Group, life insurance, retirement, and investments. Compensated endorser, products issued by member companies of Western and Southern Financial Group, Cincinnati, Ohio. All right, Mike, we have to address the elephant in the room. If you're watching on YouTube, you have Coors Edge. Tell yes. the people who didn't listen to the Monday podcast episode why we have Coors Edge on the table. Yeah, I'm doing dry January, and I just wanted to try them just to see because... You, so Coors Edge is their non-alcoholic Yeah, group. the non-alcoholic version. It says less than 0.5% by volume. You go to, like, you don't notice them at a liquor store, but, like, there's... Like a ton of brands have zero alcohol beers now, like Heineken, wow. Bud. And so we're trying to Coors Edge. I don't know who buys these besides, I don't know, maybe like recovering alcoholics is probably the only people I can think of, but we'll, we'll crack we'll them and see shot. how they taste. Yeah, let's see. Double yeah. brewed for a refreshing taste and their twist offs. I think you have to expect that from a non alcoholic beer. Yeah. They, Quinn also got one well. Producer Quinn, you're you're rocking the yeah. you're rocking the Coors Edge tonight. Yeah, um, it pairs really well with my uh, UDF coffee that I got here at seven in the morning. That's that. Yeah, that it might is seven a.m. Yeah, it listener. is seven a.m. That's true. That's true. I Cheers. said tonight because it felt like it's tonight, but it's actually seven a.m. Let me get a little sip here. Cheers. I mean, it tastes like a Coors. It actually does taste like a Coors. They See, here's the thing though, Coors tastes like ass. No, okay, and if a, I'm drinking Coors, I'd like to be getting a buzz, not just drinking it for fun. I don't know. I don't, I don't mind 41 it. calories, eight carbs, Coors Edge. Yeah. Dry January just became a lot easier. Mm. All right, let's get into this. We have to start the podcast with this. You sent me and Quinn this screenshot in uh, um, our group message last night. Trey Lance on Liv Cowherd's Instagram. Mm-hmm. I don't think, here's what I'll say. It was not shooting his shot. Looked like a follow-up conversation. You know, he said in the comment, doesn't look like you are in New York City or something along those lines, right? Yeah. You're not in New York City, are you? Do you have the comment in front of you? Uh, I do not actually. Let me. Let me. I got. I'll pull it up. On the most recent post, I have it right here. Don't lie. You're not in NYC. It was. That sounds like a a follow up where they had some history. It was some game. It was. It was. He was spitting a little game at her. It wasn't like a. It wasn't just like the hard eyes emoji or something basic on that on an Instagram post. It was actually he was trying to get a response. Is what he was doing. I, I like the play out of Trey Lance, honestly. And it, I mean, if you would have told me that Justin Herbert would have had the girlfriend he has now back in the draft process, that would have changed my mind a little bit. So Trey Lance making plays like that, he's, he's moving up the board. Stock confidence is ma- coming up. Confidence matters at the quarterback position. Absolutely. I think confidence does matter. And when you're shooting your shot with uh, with uh, Liv Cowherd, it's, it's called a power move. All right. The other thing we got to bring up, probably more realistic, is the Nick Casario hire for the Houston Texans. I don't have... A significant opinion on Casario. I think it's very difficult to have opinion on GM candidates without knowing them personally or knowing the decisions they've made. That's the thing. Like everyone's like from the outside going to criticize, oh, you know, Patriots guys haven't worked out at other places. You have no fucking clue what this guy's done. Yeah, exactly. Inside the Patriots organization, you just, it's impossible to know. And especially you can the be Patriots. like, oh, he has this background or this background. He went to this school. But like at a certain point, you don't know what the hell this guy's been doing yeah. with the Patriots or, or the type of person he is and the type of whatever he's going to do. Yeah, this isn't like a coaching hire where 
you can see the schemes they've ran or even the people they've learned from under coaching wise. You have no clue how he wants to run an organization or what he, maybe they didn't use any of his, like they drafted like shit, the Patriots past five or six years. Maybe they didn't use any of his takes. Maybe he was super high on guys that they didn't draft. You just don't know unless you're inside that building. So if you're going to Chris, guys I, just I, I never the really table comment. for all these guys and yeah. they're never picking them. And everyone's like, Nick Casario seems pretty sick. He was, but I think the, the where you, what you can have a take on, is the fact that the Houston Texans paid hundreds of thousands of dollars to that search firm, and then they 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 give them five dudes, five candidates, mm-hmm. and they at Easterby ends up going for they got one of the guys they didn't pick up, wasting that you know hundreds of thousands. Of dollars. On one hand, I love that they didn't go with search firm because these search firms are a joke too. What like they can't know either. There's true, true. It's just checking a box. It's just trying to look good as an owner, saying you did all your due diligence on that. So I like that from one perspective that you just went out and got your guy still, even though disregard what search firm said. But I didn't like it from the fact that it still means Jack Easterby is basically running the show there. <laughs> and we, everyone read the article at this point. I hope if you haven't, who is it? Ty Dunn wrote it about the inner workings of that organization. No, who wrote the article? I don't remember. Okay. Well, it's, we should, I should look that up and find out who wrote it. But it was a great article to, just talking about how basically he has been running the show from behind the scenes and picking favorites within that organization and is still basically running the show even without Bill O'Brien there. One name I do like in the the GM conversation right now who's getting interviews is Quezzi Adolfo Mensah. And I don't know him personally. I don't know the decisions he's made with the San Francisco 49ers. But what I do know, he was the director of research and development for them for the past five years and is close friends or has worked with and talked to George Chahuri and Eric Eager, our two research and developer, uh, our two data scientists here, and they have really, really high praise for his mathematical background. And anytime you see some of those guys going in, it's not so much about the decisions he's going to make in that GM position and the research he's going to continue to do, but if Quezzi does get a GM position, it's about the people he'll surround himself with, mm-hmm. adding more guys with mathematical backgrounds that have, you know, have invested time in the analytics and understand where the NFL is going from a positional value perspective, how to spend cap resource, all that stuff. I think Quezzi is a name to look for that if your team is interviewing that candidate, he'd be one of my favorites. He's, a, he's not as experienced, but mm-hmm. he is an older candidate too. I think he's close to 40 years old. So something there to look out for. And I have a take uh, as well. It was Jenny Varentis and Greg Bishop to give credit to where credit is due for that. If you haven't read it, go read that article about Jack. Who wrote uh, what, for what? On, uh, on Sports Illustrated. Sports Illustrated. Um, I have a take too. All, all these people, all these fans and media like are you know speculating who's the best coaching candidate for my team or this team, whoever it may be. I also, similar to GM, don't think you can actually know who good coaches are going to be. You can say, I like the schemes they've run. You could say you've liked the plays they've called and and from the sidelines see the type of persona they have and hear what players say about them, all that stuff. But being a head coach is completely different than being a coordinator. You have to understand their management style, how they'd act trying to lead a football team. I think not a perfect example, but an example is Freddie Kitchen's made some moves offensively as an offense coordinator, was put in a position to be the head coach yeah. and really, really struggled to manage that football team. Mm. And I think Robert Salah, from what I've known about him, watching him on TV and hearing players talk about him, is probably a fantastic leader. He runs the stairs before every game, but like I don't know him personally. Similar to like Brian Dable. Love what he's done in, in Buffalo from a play-calling perspective. How he's groomed Josh Allen. Mm-hmm. But can he manage a full staff of coaches and manage a team? I don't fucking know. Like I still think that the speculation is like, I really like this guy's offense. I really like this guy's defense or their sideline antics or how they uh, present themselves. But at a certain point, you don't really know how they're going to be as managers because it's a completely different role like Mark Trust than as a coordinator. When it was just a disaster. Um, yes. On one hand, I'll say that's probably true for 90-ish percent of candidates. But I think everyone knew Kyle Shanahan was going to be a pretty damn good head coach. Like There are guys that you are like, okay – He's gonna be a. He's What's a your opinion of Salah? Damn good. Head. I think a lot of people think he's gonna be a damn good coach. I, I think he will be as well. I think he runs like their defense has just exceeded expectations continually over the past over his tenure there. So I do think there are certain guys that you can tell, uh, and there are certain guys on the opposite end who have maybe had their chances or done things where you're just like, I don't think that's gonna work. We'll get to one of those later when we get to the least worst coach of the year yep. award. All right, now Devontae Smith last night won the Heisman. He did. We had him picked as our Heisman, I believe, or you had him picked and I had him picked as our Heisman for Trash PFF. picked Mac Jones like a... Loser! <laughs> like a just mark. No, no not a mark. No. But 
Uh, Devontae Smith wins the Heisman, deservedly so. I mean, he had insane production. I think the highest PFF receiving grade we've ever seen yeah. from a wide receiver at the collegiate level. It, it goes back to the spirit of the Heisman Award, and I love it because it had since, I, I believe Desmond Howard was the, not, excuse me, Desmond Howard's last wide receiver, Charles Woodson, the last non-quarterback or running back to win the award. It goes back to the spirit of best player, which was the Heisman. And he was compared to the other wide receivers around college football, besides the guy in his own team who outproduced him in the four games that they were Woo. together. He was the best wide receiver in college football by far and away. Devonte Smith. It was not close this year. And so I think it goes back to that spirit of the award of he was compared to his position so far and away better. And even to like seasons we've seen in years past from the wide receiver position that you had to go him like Mac Jones, Kyle Trask, Similar numbers. Trevor Lawrence, probably just like in terms of on-field performance, week in, week out, would have gotten my nod. But at the wide receiver position, no one held the candle to Devontae Smith. And that's why I thought Chase Young should have realistically been in the running last year and was, obviously. But if Joe Burrow didn't exist, I thought it should have gone to Chase Young. I think that should be the spirit of the Heisman Award, not just, oh, the quarterback of the best team. All right, before we dive into the awards we listed out here, I have two things to mention. I got feedback on the previous podcast. I'm continuing to talk very, very fast. I'm mm. going to slow down here. I'm not We're going to slow down on this episode and episodes four. Two, someone called me out really, really well and said, you can't say... For dressing? Not no, dressing. Okay. Not dressing. Everyone hates my outfits. So that's going to be a constant. Um, you can't say Jamar Chase is obviously, and emphasize obviously, the better prospect than Devontae Smith. Oh, did you and be say the obviously? guy who preaches you can't be overconfident in your evaluation. And I agree with that. I, did I did can't we say obviously? I, did, I think I did okay. say obviously. Yeah, I mean. But with Jamar, I think Jamar Chase, I think Jamar Chase a, yeah. is a better prospect than Devontae Smith. But you can't be overconfident We're in your evaluation. And there's a lot of opportunity for Devontae Smith to be a more productive receiver in the NFL. I tweeted this out yesterday and received some feedback on no, whatever, whatever. You know, draft evaluation is largely overrated, I think. It, it matters, and you need to be an evaluator, and you need to evaluate talent. But it is in a lot of ways overrated at this point, where it's gone, where players are always the ones that bust. It's never the team's fault. It's never that he wasn't in the right situation or with the right usage. It's always that the player just sucked. I, and looking at, like, the consensus board last year, how no one had Justin Jefferson over Judy Lamb or Ruggs, and Rager and those guys being as high as they were, I do feel like where draft evaluation is right now is overrated. And, that, and for those reasons, it's another reason why you can't be overconfident in your evaluation. And you need to spend more time, I think, spend um, more time thinking about how you're going to use this player, how you're going to develop this player both on and off the field, rather than thinking, like, who's the best prospect? Let's bring him in. I think a board is overrated, I'll say. The, the ranking of 1 to 100 positional in a vacuum, like the outsider's boards are overrated. I, I don't think that the evaluation itself is. Like, I think you have the more important thing is like cutting to the core of who a guy is and actually being able to describe his skill set so that they don't go to a bad situation. So you're not drafting yeah. a square peg for a round hole. And all of a sudden, four years later, that guy looks really good in a different scheme. I think that's the more important thing is actually understanding who the guy is. And, and then us from outsiders, I think that's like the thing I take the most pride in my job is actually being able to tell you what this guy uh, is and what his strengths and weaknesses are not necessarily exactly how good he'll be yeah. because that is like you said determined so much and, and the perception of them is determined so much by where they go to and also it's been one year these guys yeah i'm not going to write anyone off one way or the other uh, obviously if a guy's very very good as a rookie that's mm -hmm. probably who he's going to be but i'm not going to write it off just because he's not been that, at that level yet but i also think it, it, from a content perspective evaluating talent dominates the conversation in terms of who's the best receiver in this class who's number two yeah. who's number three and it's because that is more fun and because fans can flock that easier than saying it's you know debate. all of these receivers are very good and in the right mm -hmm. situations they'd probably be pretty damn good you know mm -hmm. like like you can look at justin jefferson in the situation he was in and he performed a, a exceeded expectations broke the rookie receiving yards record but i don't think he has that same those sa that same production with the eagles and in 16 games, the Eagles, I think people are saying, oh, man, he's a bust. I guarantee it. Like, I guarantee it, playing with Carson Wentz and how they've used their receivers this year. Oh, yeah. I think people will be talking about Justin Jefferson as a bust the same way they're talking about Rager. And I think that, in my opinion, needs to people be more of a part of the conversation. I mean, 
Rager is one of those where I think I tweeted the other day, Tua looks bad because Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert look so good. Mm-hmm. If those guys were also playing like shit, no one would be upset about the Tua pick, you know, right now. Yeah, true. No, like everyone would just be like, okay, you know, give him another year. Like, let's see how he looks next year. It's just because those guys look so good. It's only because Justin Jefferson was the very next pick and looks so good that you think Jalen Rager sucks. No, he like he has reasons to be very encouraged about what he did this year. He just did he had two of the lowest, like Carson Wentz is the fifth lowest grade quarterback. Jalen Hurts had a lower passing grade than Carson Wentz. They just didn't have a lot going for him that year. And he had injuries as well. Like there's I'm not writing a guy off by any means. Yeah, I don't think I mean, regardless, we've said this multiple times, but never write a player off after their first season, especially after the COVID season, where you know players are battling injuries. There's no preseason for these rookies, all that stuff. I mean, look at what happened to Nelson Aguilar. Yeah, Nelson Aguilar is a star now. Leaves leaves (laughs) Philly. Derek Carr in his postseason presser said, pay the man. I think he's going to get a pretty decent contract, but I think he's going to test the open market. There's no way he lets you know Las Vegas lowball him on an NC, NC, um, you know, before he tests the market, in my opinion. I think teams will flock to him on the open market. All right, let's jump into these awards here, starting with Offensive Rookie of the Year and Defensive Rookie of the Year. We ranked these here. We had three guys mentioned. I wanted to be different. I think how you have it listed is very good. I wanted to be different and choose some different guys, but go ahead and give me your you three for Offensive you Rookie of the Year. Uh, my number one. Offense rookie there, Tristan Wirfs. Nice. I think his Friend season of the pot. compared to expectations at that position was the the single most special season. I just think it was. He, he was exceptional, the second highest grade right tackle in the NFL. Um, I think the 11th highest grade tackle overall in the NFL. That as a rookie is like Justin Jefferson graded higher at his position. But I think rookie wide receivers can hit the ground running and he was in a situation where they really only used two wide receivers in that offense so one of those two guys like the two guys were going to produce so i just think tristan Wirfs in the nfc south against the competition he had to face week in and week out from the edge except when he faced atlanta was ridiculously impressive that's why he's my office rookie of the year and then i went justin herbert two justin jefferson three I honestly think that's a very good take about how the Minnesota Vikings only really used two wide receivers in that offense. They stayed away from using a slot receiver there, and, I mean, he's going to produce in that offense. So I, I do think that Tristan Wirfs at one is is – you can go to bat for that, and then Justin Herbert, too, is good. Um, but I have here Justin Jefferson at one, here in the second-best rookie receiving grade we've ever seen at the position, hmm. 90.5 PFF receiving grade. Odell Beckham Jr. in 2014 earned a 90.6 PFF receiving grade, literally splitting hairs. At that point, they, they, I mean, Justin no, this Jefferson. Is very scientific, Austin. That's not splitting hairs. That's <laughs> Justin Jefferson. Difference. Statistically, if you look purely receiving yards, had the best rookie season we've ever seen in the NFL. But he had the second best according to PFF receiving grade since 2006. And then after him, I had Tristan Wirfs and then Justin Herbert. And it's you know people are going to look at this as Justin Herbert slander. Absolutely not. Justin Herbert was the highest graded quarterback in the NFL this year when under pressure. One of the highest graded quarterbacks on third down and one of the highest graded quarterbacks throwing the ball deep. All three of those situations, while impressive, very volatile when looking at predicting future quarterback performance. Justin Herbert is, and I think Sam and Steve said this on the NFL podcast, and I agree completely. Justin Herbert is going to regress a little bit in those areas. In, in those areas, that's key. Mm-hmm. And on third downs, uh, on under pressure, all of those things. Where he's going to get better and where he showed signs of life is from a clean pocket and um accuracy is going to get better for Justin Herbert than what he was this year. That's where he's going to get better, especially as that situation improves, as the coaching staff improves, etc. I think you're going to see a little bit of a drop-off and play under pressure and then an increase just in development and a new coaching staff in the clean pocket areas to where Justin Herbert is, and I think you can confidently say this, one of the more impressive young quarterbacks in the NFL right now. Mm-hmm. And I think he can be that guy on a rookie contract if the Chargers figure their shit out from a coaching perspective and injuries perspective defensively, That's the biggest could be thing. a legitimate team in the AFC. I am very intrigued to see who they're going to get at, core, at head coach, excuse me, because it, it's a, it should be a coveted job. Like This should be yes. a job that with a guy, when you have a guy like that at quarterback, a lot of teams should be beating out on the door for. But the interesting, interesting thing was that should have been the Browns a couple of years ago. They hired Freddie Kitchens. So we'll see what they do. You don't know who they are. Until they step into that management role, and they have to have those. Well, the 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 scene that always comes to mind for me is uh, in Hard Knocks when Hugh Jackson was sitting at the table and talking to all those guys. You so pretend Hugh Jackson was the best play caller we've ever seen. You have a management style like that. I don't care if you're calling plays that scored yeah. twenty. You know, you get twenty yards of play. Like if you're managing people like how Hugh Jackson did, you're not going to have buy-in from your coaches. 
You're not going to have buy-in from your players. I think you know who tweeted this. Todd and Haley I was like, agree. Todd Haley was basically like running the show. He was, he yeah. was sunning him well, in, I mean, that, it, in that room. He was like taking over. It, it, it's bad. It's bad. You can't have that. I think um, all 22 or bets tweeted this, and I couldn't agree more. Is that every good coach in the NFL, regardless of scheme, wherever, has buy-in. And if you don't have buy-in from the coaches and the players, because whether you're not a good cultural fit, you don't present yourselves well, you sound like an idiot, like maybe Hugh Jackson did a couple times, then I think you're going to really struggle. And I think you can't determine based off some of these guys' play calling on the sidelines which guys are going to really bring get buy-in from their players and coaches. And the first way to do it, the first way to do it is win a ton of football games. But that not helps. every time can you do that with a, with the roster you have, et cetera. Mm-hmm. The other way you do it is establishing a culture and establishing respect with your coaches and players. So it'll be interesting to see um, who does step into that Charger situation. I've been very vocal about wa- wanting them to get Brian Dable. Like Brian Dable makes a ton of sense there to groom Justin Herbert. Another person said he should go to Jacksonville and groom Trevor Lawrence. I like that too. But what he did with Josh Allen this year, I think is very – Josh Allen and Justin Herbert have very similar skill sets in my opinion. I think him going to Buffalo would be an encouraging thing. I want Urban in Jacksonville. Urban will be fun in Jacksonville as well. All right, defensive rookie of the year. Give me your guys. My guys, number one, this one, obvious. Chase Young, 40 pressures, 24 run stops. He was it's just easily the best rookie. Number two, I'm going to go Jeremy Chin to play as well as he did in a kind of hybrid, versatile role. Was impressive. 30 stops in the season. And then number three, Legereus Sneed, the – Biggest kind of one of the biggest dark horses in this rookie class in terms of where he came from. A fourth round pick, played safety last year at LA Tech. 53.4 passer rating allowed as a rookie. He was the best rookie corner. I'm going to give an honorable mention though to Cam Curl for the Washington football team as well. He was he was damn good. I think the reason he's not getting Jeremy Chin esque hype is because one, he's not nearly as athletic, and two, he was a seventh round pick, but I, that's your starting safety going forward. Like you're, that's a quality starting safety from what we saw from him this year. And he was, he was no slouch himself last year at Arkansas. He was very good, graded out really well, and has a lot of prototypical safety traits in terms of his size and his length. So I'm a fan of him. Yeah, I, I actually picked Cameron Curl ahead of Jeremy Chin on my list. I went um, oh. Chase Young as defensive rookie of the year, same as you. I think that's obvious. Highest graded player, highest graded rookie on the defensive side of the ball, and it wasn't even close. Then I went Legereus Sneed, and then Cameron Curl is number three, and here's why. Cameron Curl only played 763 defensive snaps this year. Jeremy Chin at 967. Jeremy Chin missed 19 tackles. Cameron Curl missed 16, and, and Cameron Curl beat him out in defensive stops and interceptions total. Ended up grading better than Jeremy Chin. I, I think the missed tackles are going to drag down Jeremy Chin's grade. Yeah. Not unfairly. Missed tackles matter, but he was... He was everywhere for that defense, yeah. like you said. And I think both those players are very, very good. I think, again, it's in a situation where you're splitting hairs between Cameron Curl and Jeremy Chin. I'm going to go with the guy that has graded better, finished with more defensive stops despite playing with few, uh, fewer defensive snaps. Um, go with it. He is their starting safety. He is their starting That's safety, good. and I agree with that. He also had a really nice interception against the Philadelphia Eagles, I thought. you know, play, He was playing outside corner there. I, I think Cameron Curl um, was is legit, nice. and I think he, fell he in the draft process was for Zach Ertz that he just stuffed at the line of scrimmage. What did you say? It was Zach Ertz, right? That he just yeah. stuffed at the line of scrimmage and then picked it off. Like that's that's what you need from a safety. Like if a safety can do that, you're you're that's a W in today's NFL. Is Zach Ertz overrated or is he properly rated at this point? This might have been his last season in Philadelphia, right? And now he's yeah, gonna be I mean, a free he's agent. He's not close to everyone wanted to put him in the tier with Kelsey and Kittle. He's not. He's just not the no. athlete, right? Yeah. He's closer to Jason Witten than he is yeah, to Travis Kelsey. More prime Witten, which is still not 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 Witten currently, not Booth Witten, but Prime Witten. He's closer to Prime Witten. Witten's not in the booth though. Witten played this year and it was not good. No, no. Jason Witten looks terrible this year. He could year. be in our L- LVP conversation. But Mike, you can't quantify the presence and the character he brought to the locker room. You can't. He has buy-in. He has buy-in. Exactly. So I don't know what your problem is. He was is. probably selling little uh MLM products in that locker room. The hell is an MLM product? Multi-level marketing. Oh, like a pyramid scheme? Yeah. I don't (laughs) think I've never heard of MLM. All right. um, Let's jump now to the MVP of the league. This one should be quick. I think this one's obvious. I think there's a conversation to be had about Patrick Mahomes. I think there is a conversation to be had. I think uh, either Kevin Cole or Timo Risque uh, wrote about how Patrick Mahomes has still been the best player in the NFL. But I think... 
if you had to give the award to someone, I think Aaron Rodgers does make the most sense. Yes. Okay. So I, I wanted to have this conversation. So in baseball, there's a stack card called war and there's a stack called WPA, which is win percentage added. I think Aaron Rodgers had the most war, which I think would be value, like in terms of just value added over the course of the season. But a lot of those came in just blowouts where they were up by like 30 in the third quarter and he was just trouncing teams. Like he added the most value in some games like that. And then they lost some close ones. Patrick Mahomes had the highest win percentage added because he was at when crunch time in a lot of close games, he played extremely well. That's why they went 14 and one when he was a starter. Like they, he won more games. But I think in terms of just total value added, if that's the spirit of the award, I think Rodgers added more value. So I'm going to give him. The He's also going to win it. I think Bavada and yeah. different betting uh, places have him as like the obvious favorite, almost yeah. where he can't lose. So Aaron Rodgers, congratulations early on your MVP award and hopefully a Super Bowl. Devontae Adams was on the Chris Collinsworth podcast, um, the Chris Collinsworth podcast with Richard Sherman. And he talked about trying to win a Super Bowl this year. He talked about in detail too, route running and going against guys like Richard Sherman. It's a very good episode. I would definitely tune into the Chris Collins with podcast, but also David Bakhtiari talked about the injury. He said, you know, David Bakhtiari is this big jokester and, you know, he goes down and it's like just a weird step in practice. And everyone thinks he's joking. Like, oh man, cause he's like, David Bakhtiari is the type of guy who takes it too far yeah. sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> and then he wasn't joking and it was brutal. Oh, but uh, he said, you know, David Devontae Adams asked Bakhtiari, like, is there anything I could do? He's like, win a Super Bowl, dude. You got you win a Super Bowl for me. So some heartfelt stuff on the two for one draft pod today. But David Bakhtiari, literally the best pass protecting offensive tackle in the NFL. Yeah. Goes down for the Green Bay Packers. It's gonna be interesting how they mitigate that. I think it's gonna be Rodgers. I wish we could have had grades on Bakhtiari. He was before our time, obviously, at PFF, but just to see how he would have done. Where'd he go four, to school? Colorado, fourth rounder, super undersized coming out. I think he was like 295. Obviously, completely remade his body once he got to the NFL. Now he's one of the best pass protectors. I just wanted to see, like, was he good in college still? Like, why did he fall the fourth round? That's right. But also, Dave Bakhtiari, I've heard, is a big Settlers of Catan guy. Ooh. He, he's like so the, he's the set master in the Green Bay Packers locker room. I'd be interested to play him in Catan as well. If you don't play Settlers of Catan, by the way, it sounds like a nerdy-ass game. I will stand by this. It is. It is a nerdy-ass game. game. Okay, it is a nerdy-ass game, but I don't like board games because all board games you play, outside of like maybe Risk and maybe Chess, are so predicated on probabilities and luck. Yeah. Like Monopoly is a joke. If you play that for fun, you should be five or younger. Same with Sorry. Same with any of those dumbass games. Trouble, like you're just like really rolling a dice and seeing who wins. Catan is Strat- so much more based on strategy and all that stuff to where you could actually play and have a good time. Risk is based on strategy. To some no, risk is a good one too. But yeah. Um, all right, offensive player of the year. We made sure that these were non-quarterbacks. Sometimes this goes to the quarterback as well that wins MVP, but we made non-quarterbacks for this decision. Who'd you have? What Derrick Henry. Again, if you compare Derrick Henry. DH2K. To the rest of his position, 500, 470 more yards than anyone else rushing the football this year. And then there was like 800 more yards than number three. 2,000 yards, and I was kind of like, they were kind of pumping him up at the end of the year to get him that 2,000 yards, but still, they, they pumped him up every week. Like, they, he was right, they rode him to the ground, even when they were down by like 15 in the fourth quarter, they were still giving him handoff. So, yeah, Derrick Henry. Your mom's ridden me to the ground a couple times, but no, DH2K doesn't have as good of a nickname than CJ2K, but it was a really impressive performance this year. And, you know, they were stacking the box against this guy, and you just couldn't stop him. I mean, he has, you know, some of the, I think he finishes the highest graded running back in the NFL as well, um, right ahead of Jonathan Taylor towards late in the season, which is cool. But I do think Derrick Henry, I like that for Offensive Player of the Year. I went Travis Kelsey the second highest graded player in the NFL this year. He was leading the NFL in receiving yards for a little bit. I think yeah. towards the end, he got passed up by some actual Stephon wide Diggs. receivers, Stephon Diggs. But he was incredible this year. I think everyone in Kansas City looks at Patrick Mahomes and then and then Andy Reid and then maybe Tyreek Hill, and then they remember that Travis Kelsey is the best tight end in the NFL. I think I'm not sure why he wasn't more in the conversation. Maybe he was, and I just wasn't listening. But I think Travis Kelsey, Offensive Player of the Year, absolutely. He has been outstanding this season. Did you hear this stat? This is going to blow your mind if you haven't heard this. Yeah. Rob Gronkowski and Travis Kelsey are the same age. Holy shit. (laughs) They were only separated by a few months. I did not know that. That, That And Travis Kelsey is putting it in. Yeah. Playing out of his mind. And Rob Gronkowski has played well as well. That late in the season but like Travis Kelsey still looks like prime time Travis Kelsey and is at the same age as Rob Gronkowski I found that stat I mean it's not a stat I mean freaking fact it blew my mind all right here's some trivia that will probably also blow your mind you know who is third so 
Travis Kelsey led all tight ends with 1,460 yards. Do you know who was third and how many yards they had in receiving yards at tight end? Mm, I think Darren Waller was probably second. Yeah, Darren Waller was definitely second. 1,196. So he was close. Give me a second here. Oh, it's Logan Thomas with like 690? Nope. Who was it? TJ Hawkinson. Really? Third among tight ends. 723, though. So almost half as many yards as <laughs> That's Travis Kelsey. Absurd. And fourth was actually Mike Zeki, 703, less than half as many yards. So Logan Thomas isn't up there. Where is he? Five? I six? mean, he was seven, six hundred seventy. But he had a ton of targets. I mean, he had over 100 targets this year, which is absolutely targets. absurd. Um, all right. Defensive player of the year, your choice. Defensive player of the year, it's Aaron Donald. It's, just, it's Aaron Donald. He's it's it's been there. Aaron Donald for a few years now, and yeah. it's Aaron Donald again. He's the highest graded defensive player in the NFL, right ahead of Khalil Mack. He's not going to win, though. If you're if you're placing bets on defensive player of the year, I guarantee you he's not going to win. It's going to go to a guy with better box score production. TJ Watt, Xavier Howard are two names that come to mind. Yeah, I, w- I will say, I think Xavier Howard, Jalen Ramsey, Jair Alexander all had awesome seasons at the corner position and should deserve. I would love to give them some recognition, but as long as Aaron Donald exists, man, he's just he is a every single game, every single play changes what you have to do no one else no one i else also picked aaron donald as well for defense player of the year but if you're looking to see who's going to actually win i do think xavian howard or tj watt is probably going to be the guys right i bet tj watt but yeah yeah tj watt's probably going to be the guy but i think jalen ramsey too you tweeted out that stat that blew up kind of i think what over ten thousand likes hello flex on him Fourteen thousand for- <laughs> at this point <laughs> um did, allowed 20 yards per game yeah. he also led the nfl in yards allowed per coverage snap which i think is very it's not stable. Coverage coverage play is not very stable, but I think very representative of how a cornerback is playing because yeah. it also is factoring in plays where they're not targeted, all those things. So I do think that he has been really, really impressive this year. All right, Coach of the Year, your pick for Coach of the Year. It's going to be Kevin Stefanski, but I push back on that because this is what everyone thought they'd look like last year. Like everyone thought that was this team. Like that was expectations for them. And yeah, he did a lot of good things. Like he, he's very good. I'm not going to really blow back against any Kevin Stefanski. But Andy Reid, they went 14 to one in a loaded AFC against a lot of good teams. One loss, obviously, to the Raiders. And he did like a lot of the sort of quote unquote analytics things that you love to see in terms of early down passing, going for it on fourth down when he should. Andy Reid was doing like they. He knocked it out the park, and they were the best team in the NFL. Yeah, you have Patrick Mahomes, but this isn't it's far from a complete roster. They were decimated by injuries along their offensive line and still ran a table in the AFC. I think it's Andy Reid. I like Andy Reid. I just not going to get love because that was the expectations. But. Yeah, yeah. He won't win because the expectations were that Andy Reid was going to win, but I do like Was Andy. that, yeah. Like, he just he's be so great. good. Yeah. Everyone knows he's that. so good. Yeah. I think Kevin Stefanski ends up pulling down. I, I, if Brian Flores didn't lay an egg in Week 17, I think he wins it. I mean, what True. he had to overcome in Miami, yeah. front office pushing him to start Tua Tungabailoa after the bye, even though I you could you could tell that he wanted to keep Ryan Fitzpatrick in, and he did in subsequent games, benching Tua to bring Fitzpatrick in to win some football games down the stretch. What he did, and what he did with that defense, they don't have a single pass rusher that is outperforming, you know, that is playing at a starter level. You know, Andrew yeah. Van Ginkle, I think, is their best pass rusher, and even he doesn't have a top 10, top 20 pass rush win rate, but still managed to create pressure and win on defense. I think Brian Flores, if he didn't lay that egg, or the Miami Dolphins, rather, didn't lay that egg in Week 17, he'd be the guy over Stefanski. My pick, though, is freaking Ron Rivera. Talk about overcoming literal cancer and overcome literal cancer and a somewhat cancerous culture in Washington with Dwayne Haskins really, really struggling on and off the field. Really, really struggling. Really? Overcoming cancer in a cancerous... Yeah, that was not great. <laughs> Regardless, off the field, Ron Rivera's been an absolute stud. And then in that organization, they literally changed their name this offseason. Yeah, overcame <laughs> the name change. Overcame the name change. Dan Snyder has sexual assault allegations. Dwayne Haskins is partying with strippers maskless. Like, he has gone through everything and then some is in the postseason. Alex Smith is starting for them. They're 7-9, though. They're 7-9. I get it. Okay. Well, they shouldn't be 7-9. They, they they were one of the favorites to finish with the most losses in the NFL. The Eagles should have tried in Week 17. Is that your take? No, I'm not. Okay, they should. Yeah, no, everyone picked him to be way worse. Yes, they picked him to be way worse. He overcame cancer. Overcame a ton of ass. You know, a ton of bad things in Washington. I think Ron Rivera is <laughs> well deserving. 
didn't overcome a ton of ass. No, <laughs> but I think Ron Rivera is well-deserving of um, that. I mean, they have a top five defense in the NFL, I believe, in EPA per play allowed. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he did. He made magic with that defense. He's very good defensive mind for I mean, sure. Starting- so, I, I'm not going to, like, he had. A, he did a very good job. They went seven and nine. It's all the same. Yeah, yeah. Whatever, man. Whatever. You try go. You try doing better than seven and nine with the Washington football team. When I'm not coach of the year. I'm not forced, trying to be coach of the year. When you're forced to start Dwayne Haskins to start the season, and then Alex Smith, and then Alex Smith gets hurt, they start who? Kyle Allen, Taylor, Taylor Heineke played football for this team, and they're in the playoffs. That again yeah. is feat that he's overcome feats that no played. man should ever have to. Yeah. But uh, let's go ahead and give me your pick for exec of the year. This one, I don't think like. I don't think there's much of a conversation here. I think Brandon Bean, the job he did in the AFC, and everyone focuses. I feel like the draft gets glorified for in terms of like how performance evaluating a GM. What he's done in free agency has been better than anyone else in the NFL in terms of what they've done in free agency. He completely revamped their offensive line in free agency, their receiving core in free agency and trades, and their defense from kind of the start of his tenure. He has like revamped it a lot of their biggest impact players he got from other teams and didn't have to pay that much to get them that to me is impressive because everyone could have signed those guys anyone could have had Jordan Poyer or Micah Hyatt at safety anyone could have gone out and got Cole Beasley and realized that he's one of the best slot receivers in the NFL gotten John Brown Brandon Bean got them and they're playing exceptionally well for him. I, I think he deserves it. Absolutely. He's my pick as well. I mean, he signed, made Mitch Morse, I think the highest paid center in the NFL that year was what mm-hmm. it was. I think he's been passed up by then, but he's the starting center. Added John Feliciano, who's a backup in Oakland at the time and has now contributed as a starter for that team. Cole Beasley. And in subsequent years, added Stefan Diggs. John Brown, too. But Brown was hurt this year, but yeah. I mean, he's been really, really impressive with the decisions he's made. And when you hit on that many decisions, including obviously Josh Allen, I mean, that's that's well-deserving of executive of the year. I also You've said this before, I think, that it should be like a three-year award, right? Where you look at, you know, it should be yeah. like maybe, there should be an exec of the the three years. <laughs> Is yes. that a thing? That's what it should be to evaluate, not just like, oh, you're, oh, why is his name blank? And I mean, the Colts GM who drafted Andrew Luck. Ballard. No. Oh. Grigson. You're Ryan Grigson. You drafted Andrew Luck. Here's your award. Everyone drafts Andrew. Like <laughs> you take. make obvious decisions, or you go out and spend a zillion dollars one off season to improve your team. Of course, you're going to be better that year. But can't, is that sustainable? Like what Brandon Bean's done, is that sustainable over a number of years? I think we've seen that it has been from him. All right, let's jump to now our kind of joke awards, but kind of the opposite end of the spectrum awards. I think these will be fun. Try not to be too damaging on these guys, but yes. your least valuable player this year. Yeah, I mean, we touched on Murray. It's Dwayne Haskins. And the reason why when I was at the beginning of this year when he was benched, I was like, why are you are you benching him? It's because he was not that bad last year. Like, it, he was not disastrously, unplayably bad. And through, like, a couple weeks, really wasn't either this year. But then it... I think you saw when he had to come back that he was just not like there was not only not improvement, he was worse this year than he was in 2019. Just no, no positive reasons whatsoever. Something like obviously was not putting in the work off the field is why he got benched in the first place and deservedly cut. Like he was atrocious at the quarterback position this year, 47.5 overall grade, more picks than touchdowns in a year where everyone was lighting up scoreboards. Lowest graded passers on non-play action passes this year were Drew Locke, Mitch Trubisky, Sam Darnold, Nick Mullins, and last place was Dwayne Haskins. And I do think that I agree with you. I have him as my least valuable player, but I think it's more than that. I do think it's the off the field because when he was benched at first, and like I thought bad cultural yeah value too, <clears throat> you know. Because when he was benched originally, he was not benched to second string. He was benched to third string which I think was important and for reasons that we found out down the road. But you, you saw reports after that. Some of it was because he was bragging in the locker room about throwing for over 300 yards in a game. And then you see that he's not. And then there was another report that came out that said he's not looking, you know, he's not studying enough and not looking at, you know, not studying film enough or whatever it may be. Imagine bragging in the locker room about throwing for 300 yards. So, and some of that has been like, reported, and some of yeah. that is just like kind of sprinkled rumors, whatever it may be. But regardless, I think we've seen more than enough to see that he's made bad decisions off the field. What those were, we know some of them, maskless stripper party, whatever that was. But then others, I think, were just not putting football first, or at least a high second behind your family and friends. 
Not the strippers. The strippers were second, actually. I think the strippers might have been second. But regardless, least valuable player. And I think, again, I hate to freaking dog on a guy as young as Dwayne Haskins. Dwayne Haskins, I think, is in a good position to reset. You got, you know, you talk, people talk about hitting rock bottom and then being able to bounce back. Like, it doesn't get lower than this. You got to bounce back. I think this is a, it's not rock bottom. I mean, the dude's made hundreds of thousands of dollars in his NFL career. Yeah. But I do think this is an opportunity for him to reset as that cut player to try and come back and prove that he can come back into the NFL and play. I was going to say, they did him a favor by cutting him. That is probably the best thing that could happen for him at that point. If they just let him hang on and keep going about his business and, like I said, as being the third-string quarterback, I don't think much would change. But now it has to change or else he's not going to have a job in the NFL. So It's going gonna, it's gonna to be a tough road to re- you know, come back into the NFL, but it's it's one that he, he has to do. He has to reset. <clears throat> all right. Uh, worst offensive player this year. You doing all right over there? Take a sip of your Coors Edge. I'm back. That sounded awful, by the way. It's not good. That was okay. Uh, we're oh, call it the worst offensive player of the year. I will go with staying on the Washington football team. Oh man, maybe Rude. maybe Ron See, Rivera again, was. This is why Ron Rivera is. But no, this is why you probably shouldn't be because he gave Peyton Barber 94 carries instead of giving those to Antonio Gibson. Now some of those were obviously when Antonio Gibson was hurt. But on 94 carries, he averaged 2.7 yards per carry, only broke seven tackles. If you had given Peyton Barber Derrick Henry's workload, 378 carries, he still would not have broken as many tackles as Antonio Gibson, who only had 170 carries. That's Antonio awful. Gibson, 37 broken tackles in the year on 170 carries. That's not good. I also picked a running back for worst offensive player of the year, and uh, it's Todd Gurley. The second lowest graded running back among all running backs for at least 100 carries this year, just ahead of Benny Snell of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Averaged under, you know, point, I think 0.17 force missed tackles per touch, only 3.5 yards per carry. Really struggled to be that home run hitter for that team. Like, they were better mm-hmm. handing the ball off to other players in that backfield. Specifically, Brian, who's the Wyoming, former Wyoming back they have there? Fuck, I'm missing it. Brian, Brian Hill. Hill. Brian yeah. Hill. Former Bengal great. Former yeah. Bengal great. I do think Brian Hill I, I, um, was the better back, obviously. Todd Gurley, worst offensive player this year, um, in, in my opinion. I think um, that's who I'll stick with. I'd say he's like washed up, but this is what he looked like in 2016 also. So, I don't know. Wow. Bold take. I mean, he did. That's like he averaged 3.2. He, averaged, he had a worse year that year. 3.2 yards per carry back. He was just uh, getting Everyone fed. said Jeff Fisher, but like I do think he's – there are some things about the position. Like I, don't, I, just, I never thought even when things were going great, I think it was because of that – offensive line he had never had a running grade above 80 for us i don't know yeah. i mean we've always yeah. been like on the opposite end of the girly hype you know yeah. i mean coming out of college i really liked him he was he was awesome at georgia but still he's like very quickly declined some of that is because of the injuries and his knees mm-hmm. but like very quickly lost that speed like you've seen him try and get to the outside in the nfl right now it is it is hard to watch yeah with todd Gurley. i mean we had this conversation recently like there's so many good running backs in the NFL. It's why the position is largely replaceable. But if you had to pick a guy that starts for a team that was the worst running back in the NFL, I'd be hard pressed to find a better name than Todd Gurley. Maybe Frank Gore. Maybe I you pick Frank Gore. Frank Gore. Definitely Frank Gore. Yeah. <laughs> but either way, but Frank Gore, you you can't you can't put a price tag on the the freaking leadership he brings to the locker. He has buy-in. He has buy-in. buy-in. God damn it, Mike. All right, worst defensive player this year. Biggest liability, I think, is a good way to talk about it. All right, I'm going to go with Lions linebacker Jelani Tavai. And if you followed any of our draft coverage that year, not the most surprising pick here. He, for a full season, only had 17 defensive stops. We're talking about Cam Curl having 37, Jeremy Chin having 30. Those are safeties. This guy plays closer to the ball, should theoretically have more stops. 17 defensive stops. A passer rating of 140 allowed in his coverage. Didn't have a didn't touch a single football all season long in terms no of picks, pick, no PBUs. pass breakup, and had a 32.1 overall grade. So tough scene for Jelani Tavai this year. Second round pick. Yeah. My pick is Jonathan Abram, the lowest graded safety in the NFL. Plays for the Las Vegas Raiders. Um, a ton of missed tackles, a ton of blown coverages, a ton of explosive plays. Explosive plays allowed into his coverage. I think he's going to get better. He has to. But I think the, the issue with Jonathan Abram right now is he freelances too much and plays team. too aggressive for, for a second-year player. And he didn't even play most of last season. He was injured. Yep. So he's very raw, very green in the NFL. But I think making decisions 
like he is Charles Woodson with the number he wears in Las Vegas. Like he's making decisions like very veteran savvy decisions where like you wouldn't want to freelance and take those risks unless you were really confident in the decisions you're making. Like they were playing what Tampa two on. Uh, oh yeah. It's the Broncos. Yeah. Uh, he, he lets, so he's supposed to be the seam runner. He's supposed to be like that whole, the middle linebacker role in Tampa two where you're running on the middle of the field and lets a post go by him and then lets a dig go by him and is sitting at the sticks. He ends like, up going further than the underneath coverage players, the underneath zones. Like yeah. he gets closer to the line of scrimmage than the guys playing closer to the line of scrimmage. And that again is just freelancing too much. I like how he put it. Like he plays like he's supposed to be this instinctive player, but actually doesn't have instinct. You know, like he, well, he's, he play, aggressive. he's, he's taking like these chances where it's, he's not actually has no clue what he's looking at that he's seeing. Like he's getting fooled. He's like, aggressive and he's confident and you do need that in a safety. But if you're aggressive uh, and confident and s- just swinging at balls in the dirt, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, he hasn't seen a curveball they didn't want to just knock out. <laughs> Dude, the he wants to rip play. every curve thrown his way, yeah. and they're throwing curves at him, and they're picking yeah. on him. It's going to get better for Jonathan Abram. I think it needs to get better for Jonathan Abram. But when you're playing safety, you can't take the risks he's taking and freelance as often as he does if you want to grade well and not give up big plays. I would just put him at linebacker at this point. That's not a bad take. Add some beef to him. There's no reason for him to play deep. Like, he's just not that kind of playmaker at all. And he wasn't coming out of, like, Mississippi State. That wasn't his game either. I mean, the comp was like Keanu Neal. But Keanu Neal is is a bit more instinctive and takes less risks. And has actually played a lot better for, uh, I was going to say. And even he was at his best when he was playing exclusively box under Dan Quinn. I think you should see some more box. See some more box, uh, Jonathan Abram. All right. Coach, opposite of coach of the year. So, worst coach this season. Go ahead. Adam Gase. I mean, he gave okay. One, he gave Frank Gore 187 carries. 30, oh my God, that number is insane. 36 year old Frank Gore, more than Antonio Gibson got this year, and he gave him 21 carries in a game they lost 31 to 13. Which I don't know how that's possible in this day and age. To I don't know. It's just that right there. They could have won like five games after that. That wrapped up this award for him in my opinion 187 carries is absolutely absurd for frank Gore. like they made him a legitimate bell cow yeah and they I, were losing most football games like in the first quarter yes like they should have been the past happiest team in the nfl because they were down in every game but they were the run heaviest my pick and the reason i didn't go adam case is because the expectations for the jets were low, low okay, yeah, you know what i mean i think another coach in there probably gets them better but i don't think too much better Matt Patricia, there were people talking about Matt Stafford coming back healthy and getting them into the postseason. The worst defense in the NFL this year, EPA per play, Detroit Lions. And I know he was fired, and some of that's on the the next coach coming in, but at a certain point, there wasn't enough instilled in that Detroit Lions team for that defense to even be a top 15, top 20 unit. Mm -hmm. And Matt Patricia really underwhelmed there, being a defensive-minded coach. You know what he didn't have, Quinn? Bye. Oh, bye. Yeah, Come sorry. No, I'm, I'm asleep at the wheel. <laughs> I was asleep at the wheel. I mean, we've bye. talked to multiple former Detroit Lions players about mm-hmm. Matt Patricia and have heard things where, regardless of what, we won't get into specifics, they didn't have buy-in. And from a performance yeah, perspective. Yeah, that is a weird thing. No one, usually when you're a polarizing coach, like you can have guys will come out and say negative things. That happens all the time. But then you'll have guys come out and defend, say good things. That didn't happen a lot with Matt Patricia. I mean, it was bad. It was bad. There's, you know, there's a lot of reports beyond with the conversations we've had about Matt Patricia and how he didn't have buy-in, but also purely from a number standpoint, that defense was the worst in the NFL this year. And he's supposed to be this guy that could turn that thing around. And he really didn't. Um, poor look for Matt Patricia. All right. Worst executive of the year. And this one's tough too, because I really like Bill O'Brien as a coach, but you have to pick Bill O'Brien as the worst exec this season. It has to be. The Tunsil trade. Two first and a second round pick to make the guy far and away the highest paid left tackle. It just skews everything we know about pass protection in terms of how how valuable that elite guy is compared to how valuable just you know quality competent play at left tackle is. There's not two first and a second round pick a difference and twenty four million dollars to pay that guy a year. That was absurd. Trading a third for Duke Johnson to never give him any touches was absurd when you can only get a third back for Jaden Clowney. Only the second round, only getting a second for DeAndre Hopkins. And David Johnson. You always and forget to bring up David. Giving it, getting David Johnson, which like you didn't even need. You had a third for Duke Johnson. Um, all these moves just 
just screwing themselves cap-wise. A second for Brandon Cooks. Now, Brandon Cooks played well, but again, you're giving up a second to pay a guy $10 plus million dollars a year. Like you're, you're, pay, you're just kind of a kid in a candy store buying whatever looks the tastiest to you and not caring about how much it costs. Mm-hmm. That was Bill O'Brien, Jim. And you can't make those short-sighted, expensive decisions as a GM or executive. Yes. Short-sighted, expensive decisions get you in cap hell. And guess where the Texans are now? absolute cap hell and and they're in a tough spot we talked about it on the monday episode about whoever this gm comes in i guess it's gonna be nick casario so there's only two guys that the texans can cut and save 10 plus million dollars cap space who one's brand cooks your best receiver this year one's jj watt your best defense player this year oh man i didn't know that that's the only two guys they got now they can save some elsewhere with like five or six million dollar deals but they'd have to cut like like a bunch of guys to do and i bet you i mean i bet you a lot of those contracts how they were put together like you're still probably taking on some dead money with these cuts here oh yeah man it's gonna be an interesting offseason for nick casario he's entering a situation where there's just literally like just fire there's fire in the building this he's he's the this is fine meme right now where like he's in there trying to put out a ton of flames i will say though so we kind of hated on the gm job there if you can survive this wave and if you can just casario is obviously probably friends with easterby it's going to be a good gig for the next decade after that. It's just going to suck for the next couple of years. Yeah. Well, because you have Deshaun Watson. Yeah. That's like, that's all you worry about is if, if like the expectations are to immediately bounce back from ownership, or I guess in this case, Jack Easterby, you might be screwed. You might be out of a job in a year. That's what we worried about when we were ranking those GM jobs. But if that's not the case, if you're best friends with this guy and you're set for the next four or five years, then it's going to be a pretty cushy job after that, I'd say. That's going to do it for the Wednesday episode of Two for One Drafts. The Friday episode, we're actually recording Thursday. It'll come out Thursday night, I believe. The Thursday-Friday episode is going to be a mailbag episode. And to ha- make sure up. to make sure your question is guaranteed answered, rate, review, and subscribe to the Two for One Drafts podcast and leave a question there. You leave a question on the reviews, I'll guarantee we answer it on that podcast if it shows up on Apple Podcasts by the time we record. If you, you could also ask a question, we're probably going to tweet out some things tweet saying mail, mailbag, mailbag, get your questions answered about the draft or whoever you want. It could be about non-alcoholic beers. Whatever you need questions answered for, Mike has answers. He's, he's the guy. I can also chip in as well. But uh, that's going to do it for this week. Remember, rate, review, and subscribe. Until next time, Austin Gale, Mike Brenner, 2 for one Jackson.